With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Where eagles dare. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes... We'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's two up top. That means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Matthew. So Matthew, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, I've been not too bad. Um, unfortunately, Fulham suffered their, suffered their first loss of the season, their first and only loss of the season, I'm sure, up at Blackpool. <laughs> but I had a, I had a great day um, away on the seaside to watch it. I managed to go to three different fish and chip shops, which I know you're a fan of. So um, that was a pretty good day out. So result aside, it was all pretty good. And, you know, ready to talk about the rest of the, um, the important league, as it were. Oh, Matthew, I want to talk about fish and chips, but that's a whole podcast episode itself. Unfortunately, we don't have time this week. Max, how are you, my friend? Of course, Palace fan Max, we'll get to that in a moment, but I hope all is well with you. Yeah, I'm absolutely wonderful. I've been, <laughs> I've been sitting, waiting here at my computer since full time of the game, just waiting for the podcast so I can talk about it. Right, hold that thought for just a moment. Carl, big shout to you. I know you're doing some scouting work for me, so hopefully you'll be back in the fold next week. I best do some social media bits before Max blows up with excitement. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. Talking of clubs, I'm delighted to announce that we're now part of the UK's first ever sports podcast network, that being Sports Social. So check out the URL and all the links posted throughout the week on the Real Football Pod account. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. Also, I need to mention my content partner, that being betting.com, for betting tips, predictions, all that kind of stuff. Go to that website on a daily basis. And the easiest way to find all the links is by going to linktree slash realfootballcast, but adopting the R and the E, and you get 10 podcast platforms to choose from. It's never been easier to listen to this show. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? There's only one place we can go, and that is our first podcast derby of the season. And Max, you are our man on the ground at Selhurst Park. And I get the feeling, well, I know the feeling, you are absolutely buzzing from Saturday's showing. I am. I'm completely buzzing. It was it was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I almost uh, didn't go because I had a, a shift booked for uh, covering the time of the game. But luckily, very luckily, that, that shift got moved. And, uh, yeah, it was just a, it was just a fantastic, a fantastic day and a, and a fantastic performance. I think not only the result, because if we'd kind of somehow sneaked a 3-0 in, and you were completely dominant, I obviously still would have been happy. But it was the the manner of the game and and the manner of the performance that really really encouraged me about Palace going forwards. Now Matthew, that first win for Palace, I guess that's going to truly get the Patrick Vieira era underway. That's quite a statement victory in terms of the season ahead. 
It was. Can I just ask Max, how do you sneak a 3 0 victory? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. There's not a lot of sneaking that can be done there. <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I, I, you know, it doesn't happen very often. But, you know, in case like Spurs had been on top and then we were kind of got a lucky 1 0 goal or something and NSA were throwing men forward, we scored two near the end, which is not dissimilar from what happened in terms of Spurs kind of going for the equaliser at the end. Yeah. Right, OK. Sorry, I get your point there, yeah. Uh, but in terms of the Vieira, yeah, it's probably the, you know, the the big boost that he needed because as we've seen with Crystal Palace in the past, um, albeit one occasion, but one is enough, they they haven't been scared to sack a manager early on if things aren't quite going uh, the way the way they should be with De Boer. So the fact that he was able to get such a big win, you know, somewhat caveated by the fact that it was against 10 men for the majority of the game, but still against a, you know, a big opponent, a team that, you know, people think are going to do well this season to, to get that, to get that result, you know, is, it's a, is a very good start. And it shows that there is something there developing at Crystal Palace and that a lot of it could well revolve around the, um, uh, the goal scoring form of, of Alton Edward. Yeah, we'll get to Edward in a moment. Actually, Matthew, I might as well ask you now, because I was going to ask you about him in a few moments. So, he scored two in quick-fire fashion. How important will he be when you consider it was, what, £14 million? I don't know if that's with add-ons to come or part of the whole deal, but it looks like a snip already, doesn't it? Yes, based off the one game, if he can carry <laughs> on for the, if he can carry on for the rest. But I do think there is the potential there. Like, I was a bit... I've, I've, was a bit sceptical when it came to when it came to him, like I thought, because he was linked with a, a number of clubs across the summer. I thought Leicester would be a perfect move for him because I thought he won't be expected to do much because he'll be the backup for Jamie Vardy. He'll get the odd game in Europe for them. I thought maybe Arsenal as well, same sort of vibe. Um, again, rotating with Lacazette and Aubameyang. Okay, that's a good... But to lead the line in the Premier League after making the step from the Scottish League to the Premier League is a bit of a step. Um, but if this first game is, you know, is anything to go by, then who knows? It could be something there. But let's not, you know, uh, jump before the horse is bolted, sort of thing. Let's 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 just keep let's just keep it for now. Again, it was only against ten men. Yeah, of course. I mean, let's not get too excited. But I was kind of crowing for Edouard to come to Tottenham. I thought he would have been perfect as a Harry Kane backup or that second option. But of course, he's now in different colours. Max, in terms of Palace, though, obviously you're going to be biased in this opinion, but. Has that win been coming? Obviously, an opening weekend defeat to Chelsea. It's now three unbeaten, five points from nine, but you looked handy against Brentford. Should have really won that, I think. Hold your own against West Ham. Brilliant against Spurs. You know, it's kind of a case of five points, not telling the whole story so far. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And and basically, we did really well in pre-season. Obviously, pre-season games don't, don't really matter, but, y- you know, you can look back on them and say, oh, well, there are encouraging signs there as well, because... Uh, at the start of the season, obviously, we, we got smashed by Chelsea um, and then drew with Brentford and West Ham. Um, and people were saying, oh, you know, he has, he's winless in his first three games. And the, and the, the comparisons to Burr are kind of are, are quite easy. But basically, if you exclude uh, a game away against the European champions without arguably our best defender, midfielder and striker in Anderson, uh, Gallagher and Benteke... And then a kind of an unlucky last minute, um, last minute goal from Watford, which saw them beat us in the League Cup, despite us dominating that game. Apart, aside from those two games, we're unbeaten in the entirety of Vieira's tenure, including pre-season. And as you say, those those results include, you know, good, solid draws against Brentford and uh, and and uh, West Ham. And we could have really won that game uh, against West Ham at the end with with Gay's header. Um, and, you know, we could have easily won that Brentford game as well. But I, I think it just um, it just shows that, yeah, maybe people were reading a little bit too much into, you know, the difficult start to the season. Obviously, we have had uh, a tricky fixture run at the start of the season. And so a kind of maybe not picking up wins immediately is to be expected. But people had kind of jumped on that bandwagon a little bit. Um, so it's good to see that... Um, you know, we, we really delivered in a in a get in, in a game against a team that was top of the table. You know, l- lest we forget. And of course, um, obviously, Spurs went down to ten men, which didn't help. They obviously had uh, Romero and Sanchez uh, out at centre back, and so you were kind of chopping and changing and putting a couple of players you maybe wouldn't have wanted to at centre back. Obviously, Son was out as well, which was a big miss. And so all of those are kind of factors. But I would say we were on top even before the red cards. Yeah in terms of possession, in terms of controlling the game. And yeah, I, I thought we were we were completely um 
completely fair value for the for the three nil. Although obviously we did we did kind of get those two at the end. And I, I do understand that Spurs, you know, at one nil and down to ten men, you might as well throw men forward and maybe get an equaliser. You might as well lose three nil. Um, and, you know, at least have the chance of, of getting that equaliser. So maybe those kind of two late goals, which were almost scuffs from Edouard, really. I think one was deflected and one kind of Lloris got a hand to. But maybe those two late goals put a little bit of a gloss on it. But I thought it was quite a, a, a comprehensive win. And I was so enthused by, like I say, by the manner of it. You know, Gay and Anderson having two ball players at the back makes such a massive difference to Crystal Palace because previously... You know, we've had kind of more more prosaic centre backs or more traditional centre backs like Scott Dan and Damian Delaney and even to an extent James Tompkins. And those are all good players and good defenders. And, you know, they do a job in the Premier League, but they're not amazing at ball retention, you know. And so opposition attackers would put a little bit of pressure on them and they would you know they'd, they'd get a bit nervous and they'd and they'd smash upfield and inevitably we'd lose the ball but gay and anderson you know they can beat that press they can play forward progressive passes they can hold on to the ball um anderson particularly put a, a, a couple of wonderful like long diagonal balls um towards zaha and it, it it's just it makes such a massive difference to our team in being able to build up from the back in having two centre-backs who are comfortable in possession. Gallagher was the best player on the pitch, I thought, or one of them. Again, he's been, you know, our best player for almost three games in a row in, in every single game he's played. Zaha looked back to his best. He was absolutely imperious. I thought Emerson Royale did all right, actually. But, you know, when you come up against Zaha in that kind of form, it's, it's difficult. And then, obviously, Edouard on his debut, becoming, the I think, the fastest ever uh, goal from a Premier League debutant, 28 seconds, something mad like that. And so obviously, you know, for a striker being judged on goals, getting those goals uh, out of the way nice and quickly, getting a bit of confidence. Um, yeah, it was it was just a fantastic game. And I, yeah, I've just been reveling in it. I've been seeing all the highlights over and over again. <laughs> well, Matthew, let's look at it from a Tottenham point of view very quickly. As Max alluded to, we were top of the table before the international break. We're now seventh. The league position isn't that important right now, but how sobering a result will that be come Saturday? Because when you think of three one nil wins that have not been quite squeaked, but they've been gritty from time to time, is this where people go, actually, Tottenham aren't quite as good as everyone thought they were in August? Um, I don't I don't think so because I don't think anyone really expected Tottenham to be challenging for, for the top for the top honours um at some point. Maybe, you know, maybe a cup run or something. But certainly in the league, I don't think many people were saying, Oh, Nuno's gonna take them, you know, back to where Pochettino was in 2016, 17, around that around that sort of time. You know, maybe making a push for Europe, but and again, to some extent, I don't think it's a really sobering uh, result as well. Again, Parvik caveated with the fact that they were down to ten men for the majority of the game. It is probably it is probably a moment of yeah oh let's we're not quite as good as we thought we were there's there's still a few things a, a few things to work out but I don't think it's a particularly damning like oh Tottenham they they're absolute frauds at this stage there were always going to be things to be worked out um, and this game probably does does highlight it but I don't I don't think it's panic stations just yet at least from an outsider's point of view anyway no I think that's fair enough I think obviously we've got Chelsea and Arsenal in the next two weeks if we lo- lose those as well you might be sort of nine points from eight we would be nine points out of 18 three defeats in a row is not good and then those kind of rumblings that were happening over the summer and the discontent with Enoch will start to come to the, the surface a bit more but it could all turn and we could beat Chelsea wishful thinking perhaps come Sunday and then this result is not quickly forgotten but it's not as bad as it first seems but let's just very quickly focus on the sending off before we move around the grounds Max in terms of Javits Tenganga's two yellows is naive the best way to sum them up obviously he gets caught in that tete-a-tete with Zahar then just minutes later he goes to the ground. It wasn't particularly a nasty challenge, but it's reckless and it almost makes the referee's decision for him. Yeah, exactly. I think um, the the second one, there's absolutely no malice in it at all. He, 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 just, he just mistimed it. He was just a little bit rash, a bit naive. And I actually think he... I don't think he was unlucky. I think he probably did deserve to, to, to go off. I think the red was the right decision. But maybe Tottenham would think that had that, that tackle come... 10 or 15 minutes after the Zaha kind of scuffle, then maybe a little bit of heat, a little bit of heat is kind of uh, taken out of the situation. But given that it was, I think maybe even like one or two minutes after the first yellow card, like it was really close, 
really close to the first incident. You know, the the ref has obviously just had to deal with all of that. You know, he's had to pull players apart. The crowd is fuming. Like, there's still a little bit of tension and, and energy in the air. And coming so soon after that, you just you just can't go diving in like that. Um, yeah, like you say, it wasn't particularly malicious, but I think I think the red was the right decision. I think the penalty was the right decision as well, as it happens. Yeah, I was going to ask Matthew about the penalty. Ben Davis, you know, I wouldn't go as far as a veteran, but he's an experienced defender. He shouldn't really be putting his body in that kind of silhouette, should he? He should know better. You know, I know kind of the assistant referee was very quick to point to the... Uh, we didn't point, but he put the flag up to alert the referee that it's going to be a penalty. And when you kind of look at Davis's age and experience, it's kind of a mistake that Tanganga might have made. You thought, oh, actually, at least he's young. But Davis, you'd expect better from him. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the... You're, make, you're making the... I you know, as you said with the Tanganga thing, you're, the, you've made the ref's decision for him, in a sense, when you put your... When you put your body out in a, in a position like that, so yeah, pretty easy decision for the for the most part. Okay, let's go to Old Trafford now because I guess legally we have to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo and Max. With the stage being set for the footballing icon, it's fair to say that he certainly delivered against Newcastle, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He did. He did. Um, it, <laughs> I'm actually really glad that we that we started the um, that we started the pod with Palace uh, and Tottenham, maybe because obviously we're we've got Palace and Tottenham representation. But I just felt like it was going to be one of those weeks where on match of the day, United would lead the show, even if it had been a dour nil nil, yeah. and you know Palace Tottenham had been like eight seven or something, <laughs> four, four red cards. It just nonetheless would have been Ronaldo anyway. But yeah, he he certainly knows how to. And I kind of deliver on the big stage. And I actually thought to myself a little bit, oh, I reckon it could be a little bit of a of an anticlimax. And, you know, with all the build up, it's kind of almost inevitable that it's going to disappoint you. And yet he he started straight away, two goals, 4-1 win. You know, there you go. He's just the man for the big stage, isn't he? Absolutely. Matthew, I guess really when you look at his performance against the Magpies, it's about par. Like it wasn't a five or six goal personal thumping that some people were anticipating against the Magpies. But if he keeps just doing par, keeps doing that, which is arguably his best anyway at this age of his career, that's going to put United in a position to at least challenge for the prizes, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And this was the point that they uh, Gary Neville brought up on uh, Monday Night Football last night, was that, you know, he's just there just to give him that little extra 5-10%, you know, those draws against, I think it was Crystal Palace and Leeds, you know, their nil-nils last season, they pointed out, where Cristiano Ronaldo would have got the, ex- you know, probably would have got the goal to get them, you know, those four extra points in that situation. So, it's there just to give him that little extra boost. I don't think Manchester United really needed him. They do have, you know, a lot of you know, very good players. You know, the likes of Cavani, Rashford, Sancho, when he gets into it, Pogba, Fernandes. There's enough attacking prowess in there. But if he just gives them that little, that, as I said, a little bit extra more so they're not worried going into a game about a lack of firepower, you know, when they go up against Manchester City, oh, can we break them down? We're, we're with Manchester, uh, with Cristiano Ronaldo in the team, you would fancy them, you'd fancy them to at least have a chance. So just a little bit on top is what he's been brought in for. And again, based off the first off the first game, he's certainly been able to do, bring that. And Max, much has been made of Ronaldo, too much really, but I want your take on Paul Pogba, because once again he played the role of provider on Saturday. That's now seven assists already this season. Not bad for week four of the season, is it? Yes, it's very good, isn't it? It's very good. And he seems to be getting back to the Paul Pogba that, that everyone knows he can be in terms of, you know, really putting his his stamp and authority on games and taking them by the scruff of the neck and dictating. Uh, whereas, you know, often he kind of, he's been known to drift out of games, in and out of games, and, and not really perform to the best of his prodigious ability. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really good for him to be um, to, to be kind of dictating players, as we know he can. I thought it was interesting that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, after the match, was saying, well, you know, assists is one of those like social media terms. Um, it's not really uh, uh, a statistic that you can take too much from. You have to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt and view it in context, because obviously you can get an assist from passing it to making a five-yard sideways pass to Bruno Fernandez, thirty yards out, and he bangs it in the top corner. You know that's classified as, as an assist. But Pogba can do an absolutely sumptuous forty-yard through ball, and Greenwood can hit the post, and obviously that doesn't count. Um, so, you know, it's, I thought that was quite interesting because obviously we take assists kind of a little bit for granted. We think, oh, assist, you know, they must be a creative player. And there is a space to have them in, in, in the world of football. But, you know, we have to we have to view them a little bit carefully. 
uh, but definitely Pogba's been Pogba's been really good, and yeah, he, he's definitely showing the the kind of form that he would need to for United to give him a new contract. Yeah, when you mention assists, this kind of new age term of goal contributions is a bit dangerous at times because is a goal and assist are they really worth the same value? Yes, they're both classed as one, but as you say, Max, with the kind of context that you sometimes lack from assists, when people say, "Oh, but it's got thirty-one G slash A." and then you dig deep into the numbers, you think actually eight of those are just sideways passes that someone has tapped in the ball. It's kind of distorts the picture a bit, really, Matthew, doesn't it? Because it's, this is, I guess, a case of there's too much information out there. People love all the information, but they don't really know how to dissect it, and that's when it becomes quite dangerous. Yeah, I think it, it does offer something of a simplistic view. Like, I, I remember this point being brought up a couple of years ago on Five Live. Is someone out there gave the assist to Diego Maradona's second goal against England in 1986? You know, try put that on a statute somewhere and say, oh, I gave an assist to Maradona in that situation. It's not going to work out. So I think everything does need to be you know, brought into some level of context. Um, you know, whether or not you can only... Um, like I know, I know it's a thing in basketball. You can only really get an assist when the when the the, the bucket that comes after it is pretty much straight away instant after it. So, for instance, like for, like in this instance, Pogba to Fernandez would get the assist because he scores straight away. But if you know, again in the Maradona situation, you know he gets the ball pass and then has to run through. Uh, 10,000 different players to get it. He doesn't get the assist. So I think everything does need to have some level of, of context uh, context attached to it. So, yeah. Hang on, Matthew. I'll stay with you because you're an ice hockey fan. I don't know if I've made this up, but don't they rank goals as two points and assists as one in a kind of stats no, table? What, no, what the what it is is basically the assist goes back another one player. Right. So, so, so in this scenario, so it's the person, so the person scores the goal the person who gave him the assist gets a point on his stat sheet and the person who gave the pass to the person who gave the assist also gets uh, a point. So in a theory, so in theory, in this case, um, off the top of my head, uh, Oli Solskjaer's goal in 99 against Bayern Munich, Beckham rips the cornering, Sheringham flicked header, Solskjaer taps in. In that scenario, Beckham would get a point for an assist. Sheringham would get a point for an assist and Solskjaer would also get a goal next to his name. And then at the end of the season, it's all sort of tied up. So we get, oh, you scored 100 points and that comes across goals and assists. Got you. So it's, that's how it's explained. Right, like it. Max, in terms of Man United setup, obviously Pogba's played deeper with Ronaldo playing further forward. It looks a bit gung-ho. You might get away with it against Newcastle. It's almost 4-1, 4-1 in terms of setup. Can United play this every week or do they need a Matic and a Fred together. Can they go Pogba and A another? Uh, yeah, I think, I think as you say, they need the flexibility because, as you say, against Newcastle, who you know are going to set up deep and kind of try and keep a, a low defensive block in front of your defence and you need players uh, to kind of break that down. In that case, you can have one defensive midfielder, be it McTominay or Matic or Fred or whoever, and then, you know, you can have Pogba ahead of them not in a number eight role, but almost like as a second number 10, as you say, in a 4-1-4-1, and then kind of give him the room and the creative freedom to, to roam around and pick passes from deep. But as you say, against better teams, you can't do that. And, and this is where I think the problem is for United, because McTominay is a good player. Fred is limited. Matic is getting on and has the turning circle of an oil tanker. <laughs> and, and I think you, ultimately they need a second strong player in there, because against good teams... You can't play four one four one. You'll get found out um, against good teams. You, you know you need to have a second player in there to support uh, McTominay. I think McTominay is probably first choice in there, and that really explains why they're going for why they're keen on Declan Rice because Rice would not only be able to play in a two next to McTominay, for example, but you might even say he's got the defensive capability to play in a four one four one against a big team and to provide that kind of protection on his own. Um, because United look weak in central midfield. They have for a long time. And it's great that they solved their centre-back issue with Varane and, you know, strengthened on the right where they were a bit weak with Sancho. Uh, but in to, to, to kind of put a little bit of a negative spin on the Ronaldo signing, you know, he I think he is going to do well for them. And he's going to score goals. But it's a little bit of a glory kind of vanity signing, if you know what I mean. Yep. Uh, it was almost to kind of spike Man City into not getting him, even though Solskjaer said Ronaldo going to City was never a real prospect. I, I don't quite believe that. Um, but obviously, 
their their one of their main weaknesses is a central midfield, and that has not been solved. And Pogba playing next to McTominay or Fred or whoever, I don't think that's defensively capable enough against the best teams, and that's been proven in the last couple of years. So I think they do need to get someone else, whether that's in January, whether that's at the end of the season, because Pogba is a really really good player, and you know if he keeps us if he keeps up this kind of form for United. Um, I can I can see them keeping him um, long term, maybe even for the rest of his career. But I still think you need another central midfielder in there who's maybe more capable than Matic or Fred to to, to provide a bit of support and, and, as you say, give that kind of tactical flexibility. Well, talking of exposed, Leeds certainly were on Sunday. They shipped three unanswered goals to Liverpool. And Max, I don't want to ring the second season syndrome bell too early, but it's a sluggish start for Leeds. And why do you think this is happening? Yeah, yeah, it's it's tricky because they they um they obviously did did so well last season. I, it's definitely not a kind of Sheffield United situation. No, no, where no. They're almost at European football, and then they you know finished bottom of the table and now kind of towards the bottom of the Championship even as well. Um, they're definitely more capable than that, and they've really strengthened their squad with you know the likes of Llorente and Rodrigo. Obviously, they were last season, but were out with injury a lot. Uh, this this summer they obviously bought Firpo from Barcelona, Dan James. Both of them are good signings. Um, I think maybe it's a, a little bit of a confidence thing because the way Leeds play, it's either you know it's either great or it's or, or you get found out basically. And you, they've they've been on the end of a couple of real thrashings from I think United last season was there was like a six two or something or a yeah. five five one. Um, they, they've obviously lost a couple of other games. Um, with pretty big score lines, and maybe it's just a little bit of um, maybe it's a little bit of, uh, of a lack of confidence because when you, the way you you play, you know, kind of matching up one on one and things like that is such an intense style of play. Is that when you're maybe not not winning the games that you would like to, um, you, you maybe don't have that that confidence to really be brave on the ball and play those passes forward, and you might be kind of uh, retreating into your into your shell a little bit, kind of metaphorically, and so. And so, yeah, I, they have had a tricky top, uh, start to the season in, in, in terms of fixtures. So, as you say, it's very early. I'm sure they're going to be completely fine this season. And now they've got a run of some, I think, three nice games in a row. Um, so I can see them getting back to winning ways against Newcastle up next, I think. Um, but, yeah, it hasn't been a fantastic start. I think a lot of that maybe is also down to uh, Llorente being out because uh, he's a real, real defensive leader for them. Um, Cooper... The captain's kind of a good leader, but question marks remain over his ability at Premier League level. Strauch is obviously young, um, and you know Robin Koch hasn't quite hasn't quite managed to to make his way in, into that team yet. So I think Llorente is really important for them at centre back, and he's kind of been in and out of the team, and he obviously got injured early against Liverpool, and that and that made a big difference. Matthew, would you say Leeds have been found out in general? They were quite a refreshing addition to the Premier League last season, everyone's second favourite team in brackets and all of that. But is there a sense that they can only play their way for so long? Is the tank already empty? I remember talking on the pre-season episode that they didn't buy too much. I know Max has sort of mentioned the business they've done, but they've not really refreshed the squad enough. So is there going to be that danger where the brick wall's going to come earlier than imagined? Yeah, I think so. I think there there is some element of, of of them being found out, as it were. But also, it does also have to be caveated by the fact that you know two of their games so far have been against Manchester United and Liverpool. You know, two of the big guns in the uh, two of the big guns in the Premier League. So it is so. But I do still think Leeds are going to be okay because over the course of the season, they won't be. You know, they'll be able to get by with you know games against. Newcastle, say, and Watford, and all the you know, basically, basically a repeat of what it was last season for them. You know, they will pick off enough of the teams down the bottom of the table for them to for them to be able to be for them to be able to be fine. They probably won't finish as high as last season because there will be that you know being found out effect. You know, knock seven or eight points off the result, but they'll be they'll be absolutely fine. I I, I can't see them. They've got this far. By doing their method, and I can't remember who said it, but Marcel, it may, it may have been Gary Neville, but Marcel Bielsa doesn't has a, have a plan B. All he focuses on is making plan A better, and I think that's what they're going to be aiming for over the course of the season, rather than trying to make any changes. 
Max, if we look at the stats from Sunday, Liverpool had 30 shots. And if Sadio Mane really had his shooting boots on, it could have got rather ugly. So does this hark back to Leeds losing in the right way? Will their fans be worried all that much with the start of the season? Um, I, I don't think their fans will be worried. Um, obviously, it gives um, kind of credence to the idea that that they're, they're a little bit too open at the back. And maybe it's just the case that Bielsa is, I mean, he's a tactical genius, um, I think, but maybe it's the case that Bielsa, his ideas are completely right in principle, but he doesn't quite have the, the playing squad yet to completely play to the way he wants to. And for example, if he was given the Man City job, they might win the title with like 105 points. Um, it, you know, it's possible that, that they're still kind of managing that transition and they haven't quite managed to maybe trim off the, that, that maybe bottom third of the squad in terms of ability and kind of add in the kind of 25, 30 million standard players like Llorente and, and Dan James and, and people like that. Um, but I, I don't think fans are going to be um, fans are going to really be be worried or scared yet. They're, I think they're going to be completely fine. I think most Leeds fans would would totally understand that. You know, there are going to be ups and downs with their systems. Occasionally, you are just going to lose a game. Obviously, the fact that they um, the fact that they went down to ten men didn't help. Um, that obviously left them quite open at the back, even more open at the back. And the way they play, they're always going to leave like little gaps here and there when you play uh, marking one against one. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be too concerned. Now, Matthew, one thing that certainly was ugly was the uh, the injury to Harvey Elliott. So the question is, the tackle that came before it, which led to the unfortunate injury, was that deserving of a red card? It's a it's a tr- it's a tricky one because, and I, I've literally just been writing an article about this at work. Um, Dermot Gallagher um, on Sky saying that you know the letter of the law, you have to take everything into account, not just the you know the the tackle itself, but the the, the aftermath of it, as it were, has to be factored in as well. And when you look at it, the fact he was coming in from behind, he came down on his ankle, and the injury. This is overall, as the law is written, it is it is a red card. I can certainly see it going. I can certainly see it going other way. Like if it had been a yellow card, I don't think there would have been many complaints. I mean, Harvey Elliott himself has come out and said it wasn't a red card. It was just it was just an accident. So. I don't. If, there, if it had been a yellow card, I don't think many people would have complained, other than maybe the Liverpool fans who you know, would have thought that you know there should have been some some um, uh, some some punishment for effectively taking Harvey Elliott out for a number of uh, weeks and possibly months. Um, but yeah, I think overall, given the circumstances of red cards, I I can't see. I can understand why it was given. I know Leeds have uh, lodged an appeal to try and get it overturned, but. In the circumstances, I, I can I can see it going either way. I think it's very much it is a very grey area when it comes to uh, the yellow yellow or the red card, which I suppose makes it an orange area. It does indeed. But I was going to ask you, Matthew, whether you feel it's going to be rescinded because if you remember Human Song and Andre Gomez, there was that unfortunate incident at Goodison Park that eventually was a yellow card. Could you see something similar happening with this one? I can see it happening and i think um harvey elliott's uh, testimony as it were um saying it was just an accident not a red card may play some part in it you know if he's uh, offering some sort of leniency so if it does happen i won't be surprised but if it stays a red card i also won't be surprised either because you know as, as gallagher said by the letter of the law it probably deserved to be a red card to start with Right, and so Max, I want to get your take on this, because this, is this another example where the injury has added too much weight to a referee's thought process? You know, obviously, if it's just the tackle, chances are it's not a red. Obviously, the tackle's happened, a really bad injury. The referees then obviously thought, oh, actually, something so bad has happened, there's only one option, that is a red card. Does the referee need to take the emotion out of that incident and literally go by the letter of the law? Yeah, this, this is a really interesting question, right? Because I, I completely, I completely, completely understand why it happened and why the ref took the action he did. I completely understand Matthew's point of view. I don't think it was a red card. Um, I think you're right. It, it's difficult because you, you're kind of going on on the outcome rather than just on the tackle itself. Obviously, it was a. It, it's horrible to see Harvey Elliott get get injured like that. It was a really nasty injury. Um, I feel really sorry for him. I, we obviously send send him our best wishes and, and hope he recovers quickly because he's, he's a wonderful young player. But I, yeah, frankly, I just don't think it was a red card. Um, but 
it's difficult because for example so sky sports youtube channel they do tackles of the month they do like a little compilation video the tackles of the month and I, i'm a defender when i when i play at a very very limited level and so i love watching it because it's you know just seeing how players kind of line it up and and make a fantastic slide tackle and there is an art to tackling and, and it's i always love watching those videos and i always see challenges like strauks in those videos um I understand that it's also, you know, you can't be endangering an opponent. And if someone's injured, then I guess you must have endangered um, the opponent. I understand that thought process. But at the same time, there are loads of tackles like that that don't result in injury. And in those circumstances, those tackles by themselves don't warrant yellow or red cards. Maybe fouls, maybe yellows are a push. But uh, yeah, I don't think it was a red card. But the, the interesting thing is, as a referee... You also have to be aware of the context of the game. Um, you know, you, you can't allow it to boil over. You have to stay in control of the situation. And, you know, arguably, <clears throat> a similar thing happened with Palace and Tottenham on on uh, on Saturday is that the referee recognised that, you know, although the second tackle wasn't the worst one in the world, I think he realised that he had to kind of get a handle on it and maybe send Tanganga off. Otherwise, you know, it could have that game could have really, really erupted because it was quite nasty that that scuffle and lots of players from both teams piling in and stuff. And maybe the referee thought, I've I've got to keep a lid on the emotion of this occasion. Klopp is furious. You know, the Liverpool players are really like worked up about the injury or you know upset about the injury. Obviously, Strauk didn't mean it, and he was kind of distraught himself. And he, you know, went over and apologised to to Elliot, which is really nice to see. But maybe the referee was thinking, actually, just f- from the point of view of of managing the occasion and not letting this descend into, you know, like a real war. I I just need to send him off. And I wonder whether that came into his thinking. And you know, if so, whether that is the right thing to do. Because the rest of the game kind of it, it took the sting out of the game a little bit in a good way and a bad way. It it made it obviously less competitive as a match, but you know it also calmed things down a little bit. And I wonder if that will come into a referees' thinking process. And if so, whether that it, it well you know whether it's the right call to do that, whether you should give someone a card to kind of try and manage the the emotion of the occasion and take some of the the aggression out of the out of the atmosphere but basically purely as as a tackle I don't think it warranted a red card I agree with Gary Neville okay let's go to the blue half of Merseyside now because four rounds of fixtures have been played they're in the top four which means Max we've got to legally once again have the conversation can Everton qualify for the Champions League <laughs> no, no, they can't. Do. But but they might well get Europa League, you know. And and I think it's it shows really the um, how how well Benitez and and Mashiri have done in in the in the small time they've been there. Obviously, it's a small sample size. You know, they might lose their next three and be down in mid table, and that's why they finish at the end of the season. But I think it shows how Everton fans have got used to really splashing the cash under Mashiri that they were so kind of generally negative about the signings of Townsend and Gray and people like that. Because, you know, they're used to splashing loads of money on wingers like 30 million on Balassi and 30 million on Walcott and 30 million on Davy Clarson and 35 million on Sigurdsson and and, and 35 million on Iwobi and, and yeah, kind awful. of silly, silly money like that for like attacking midfielders and wingers. And then when you buy a Townsend from Crystal Palace on a free and Damari Gray for 1.7 million, some of their fans were thinking, you know, what's this all about? Why are we why are we doing things on the cheap? We're a big club. We've got a really big fan base, a good history. Why are we getting, you know, knockoffs and rejects and things like that? And I think that that thought process has been proven wrong in the early start of the season because I I love Andros Townsend. He's he, I think he's a he's fantastically defensively capable and he definitely was kind of focused on that under Roy Hodgson but that kind of stymied his attacking um, prowess because he's got a fantastic left peg he's a great cross of the ball and he has got a screamer in his locker as we saw oh, yeah. and, obviously, and obviously Damari Gray has um, you know he's quick pacey um, skillful direct good timing of his runs good finisher and he's obviously got the talent kind of didn't get the the game time at Leicester and um, 
and it didn't quite work out for him at Bayer Leverkusen, but he, he's shown that you can get bargains in the Premier League. And picking up Gray for 1.7 million might be the bargain of the summer. Um, when we look back at this at this end of the season, and yeah, the, it, it just shows that you know that there are players out there who are not necessarily going to command the biggest wages, but can do a real, real job for you. And it's credit to Benitez and, and to those two wingers in particular that Calvert-Lewin was out you know, arguably their best player and their, their top scorer and, and talisman, and and they didn't really notice his absence. Matthew, are you worried about Burnley at all? Because they've got leveraged debt, obviously that takeover that took place last season. Doesn't look like there's a lot of money in the pot, really, whether that's due to the takeover or not, but not a lot of activity in terms of transfers at Turf Moor. Not a great start to the season either. I'm not going to say this is the season they finally go down, but is this the season where they finally go down? I, th- I think there will be some. I think there will be some level of concern, especially um, because I think this season was really meant to be designed for because of the lack of funds that teams had over the course of last season. It was meant to be for you know the promoted teams, you know, who aren't exactly necessarily budgeted um, well. The three promoted teams just go straight back down because they can't really afford to spend because they haven't had a lot in the past. But when you look at the apprent- the improvements that the likes of Hamilton Town have made. Um, I think there is there is going to be room for one of those teams that have been flirting for a couple of years. Like you can make the argument for Palace, you can make the argument for Newcastle. Burnley are certainly one of those uh, those bubble teams that if things don't start if things don't start to look up sooner rather than later, then you can certainly see them being in the relegation battle for the for a large part of the season. So if things if they don't if they don't get if they don't start winning soon and to start building up something of a cushion, then yeah, I can certainly see them being in trouble for a large part of the season. And this probably could this could be their year. And it, I mean, fair play. This would have been what five, six, seven years. I think something on those lines in the Premier League. They've they've given it a good go, but to an extent, they are punching above their weight. But you know, but you know, they've they've given it a good shot. Let's just. Let's just put it on that. Obviously, oh. too early to write them off yet, but it does. It does. It doesn't look good at this part of the at the part this part of the campaign anyway. But Max, in terms of the other half of the table, the top end, it seems like that's balancing out already. It's probably hard to pick a champion, but if you use Everton as the wild card and remove them from the top four conversation, it looks like the conversation has almost come to a close. Yeah, yeah, I think so because pretty much. Teams who are one, two, three, and five currently in the in the Premier League: United, Chelsea, Liverpool, and City, um, in that order at the moment. Um, I think they're the best four teams, and I think that is where um, where those teams are going to finish. They're all going to be in the top four, not in that order, but I think yeah. Ultimately, over the entire course of the season, obviously the the, the cream rises to the top, and the best teams will be at, in and around the, the the top of the Premier League table, um, but. I'm a little surprised that it's happened this quickly because normally it takes, you know, a month or two, you know, for new signings to settle in and, and that kind of thing and for teams to kind of really figure out where they are in the table. And at the moment, obviously only, only four games in, there are still a couple of maybe false positions where some teams are higher than you imagine they'll finish and, and, and the reverse is true as well. So, yeah, it's maybe a little bit surprising that already we're seeing the top four in the top five. Matthew, does this mean we've got a boring season ahead of us, or could you see a four-horse race for the title? No, I, th- I, th- I, th- I, th- no, I think they're four-horse. Four I'm assuming you mean Chelsea, Liverpool, uh, Man City, and Man United. Yes, yeah, sorry, Everton Those fans, listening. Four... Yes, of course. Yes, yeah, just... yeah, sorry. Um, I don't. I can't. I can't see it being four. I can. See, I can see it being three. Okay. With. With Liverpool, Chelsea, and Manchester, I think I've I've made this point before. Even with Cristiano Ronaldo, I'm just still not 100% convinced that there's enough there to take them to the title this season. Like I could, the other three, I say you can make a case of Manchester United. I just with Ronaldo, even with that extra 10% I talked about earlier. I just, I just can't, I just can't see it. I mean, I, I'd be, you know, you talked about a boring season. I'd be glad if they did. You know, the more teams. The more teams in the bet, you know, one of the 
you know, one of the best things, you know, we want is now on towards the final couple of weeks of the season is when there's everything left to play for from the title to Champions League, Europa League and relegation spot. And if we do get, you know, go into the final two weeks of the season, realistically, there's, you know, four teams still in with a chance of the title on the final day. It would be absolutely fantastic. So hopefully we get it, the more the merrier, but I just can't see it. OK, then, Max, let's go to Chelsea now, because they won on Saturday 3-0. If you hadn't seen the highlights or anything, you'd go, oh, that was a comfortable win. When you watch the highlights, not quite as comfortable as first four. It was actually a flattering result, really, for the Blues. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I thought Villa were really brave in the way that they set up. And I don't... <laughs> that sounds a bit patronising when I say it like that. Um, but no, I, what I mean is that they, they played the, the, the match with a lot of with a lot of courage in and and you know belief in their own principles and belief in in really troubling Chelsea and I think on you know on another occasion the way it went they could have they could have maybe given Chelsea uh, a lot more trouble especially if they'd have scored one of those opportunities they had early on obviously Saul on on his debut was a little bit kind of short of maybe match fitness in the Premier League or maybe not quite up to the intensity yet even though he's a really good player and so he obviously got caught a couple of times Watkins had a really really good opportunity Mendy made a couple of really important saves that that shows that he's a real clutch goalkeeper for them that you know you don't necessarily get tested a lot but when you do get tested you're there and you're and you're keeping it out and you're keeping the clean sheet even though you know they made two changes at the back and I think they brought in Thiago and, and Chalobah and, and kind of rested Christensen and, and Aspilicueta. Um, so yeah, it, in in another in another situation, Villa could have easily scored first, and then in, and then you know Chelsea are being tested a little bit, and, and they have to come back into the game. But it also shows the 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 power of having a striker like Lukaku because he's just he's just so clinical. He's just so clinical, um, and he basically had two chances, two shots, two goals. And that is what title-winning teams have. Um, they've just got that ability to, you know, ride through games that they don't necessarily perform to their best in, and just kind of grind out a win. And yeah, like like you say, I think three 0 probably probably flattered them. In fact, definitely flattered them. And Villa will, will feel a little bit um, a little bit hard done by given given how well that they played. Um, but you know, Villa are going to Villa are going to be in the top half this season. I think if they carry on playing like that, Ings and Watkins together looks quite good. I think, unfortunately, that having those two up front together, and Smith does say that he sees Watkins as a central striker, and so those two are likely to play together. That does, it does mean that you know the the wide players and the likes of Traore and especially Leon Bailey, who I quite like, aren't maybe going to get so much time playing if they play that wing back system with with the two central strikers up front. Um, and maybe that that kind of slightly limits them in, in terms of their width and things like that, and 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 um, and their ability down the flanks. But yeah, Villa will be fine this season, and Chelsea they weren't great, but they got the win, and that's the most important thing. Well, Matthew, with Edouard Mendy being the bigger of the two goalkeepers, where do Chelsea's deficiencies lie? If they're going to win a title, they can't play like that every week because they will get found out. You know, you can't rely on your goalkeeper to be excellent every week you know there are going to be days where he's not and the way you play is going to catch you out so if Chelsea do need to make a tweak or if they're falling short where is that for you um, I'm not a, I'm not 100% sure because I do think Chelsea have arguably one of the more complete squads in the Premier League you well, know, so we, was we it said it last was, was it just an off day then even though they won was it just yeah Personally, yeah, personally, I think it is an off day. I mean, because I just because you look at what they managed to build off last season, the fact that they had a great defensive record with what some like seven or eight clean sheets, staff, Tuchel's reign, something something stupid like that. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But you know, they've got the foundations there, and all that was really lacking was their main man up front because the likes of Havertz and Warner and uh, Ziyech and all that lot were were contributing, but they just missed that main man. But now that they've got um, now they've got Lukaku up there to sort of you know, final piece of the puzzle, similar to what uh, Van Dijk was for Liverpool and to an extent Allison was you know, back in the day. I think that now they do have the most complete squad in the Premier. If you want to say it, maybe a def- maybe another central defender for if you know, Thiago Silva, his legs start to go or whatever in his old age. But apart from that, I can't really see there being you know, maybe a and maybe a backup forward for you know if Romelu Lukaku. Um, 
if uh, if he if he somehow gets injured or suspended or goes off the ball a bit. So it's only really backups they'll be looking for rather than anyone in the starting eleven to make him to make him you know give him, again give him that extra little bit more. Okay, then Max, I know you love talking about Brighton victory, so here's another one for you. Just about getting the better of Brentford in the last minute. So last season, everyone was crowing about their XG and how they're so unfortunate, they're creating chances, not getting the goals. This season, they're not worrying about the stats, they're just getting results. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that game is one that last season you feel like Brighton might have drawn or exactly. maybe even potentially lost. Yeah. But it, it now really feels like they're making the most of their goal-scoring opportunities and they're also not conceding the silly goals that, that, that really cost them last season. They all... You know, they're delivering now on their their defensive numbers were really, really good last season. And even though they've lost a fifty million pound player in, in Ben White, it, it feels quite strange to me that they've just basically replaced him with Shane Duffy, who was not good enough for Celtic, um, in a much inferior league, and he's just kind of come back in straight away and, and slotted into that into that place where Ben White was, and now they're keeping more clean sheets than they had with White in the team, it feels like. Um but yeah, it feels like they're finally delivering on on their on their kind of defensive and attacking numbers. And as much as I'm not a fan of Brighton uh, per se, I do I do really respect Graham Potter as a manager in terms of what he's doing, you know, with recruitment and style of play and how he's running the club and things like that. And I mean, unfortunately, I think he's he's a very good manager for Brighton, and we're seeing that. Obviously, they're they're not going to finish like sixth or fifth or or wherever they are at the moment. I think sixth, um, you know, their, their results are going to kind of regress to the mean a little bit and they're going to be much more like mid-table. But yeah, they're, they're, a, they're a good outfit and now they're they're delivering on those numbers, which is important because, as you say, last season, you know, they, they could have gone down last season, really. Um, and they, they were just kind of maybe a little bit lucky in, in a way that... Um, that Newcastle pulled away towards the end of the season and that Fulham really kind of went downhill towards the end of the season because they could have been dragged into that very, very easily. And, you know, based on the the quality of their team, they would have said that was maybe a little bit unjust or unlucky. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, there's no quibbling about, you know, delivering on XG now. They're just getting the results, sadly. I can feel the gritty teeth behind that praise, Max. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 but let's move on because, Matthew, there was a... Battle at the bottom of the table. Arsenal getting the better of Norwich, which is a strange phrase. But let's be honest, it was an ugly goal. But when you're at the bottom of the table without anything to your name, you'll take a win whichever way you can. Yeah, that ugly goal at the when you won that 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 definitely sounds relegation battle in at April <laughs> sort of tour. So I do like that. I do like the fact you, I do like the fact you used it. But yeah, be on on the serious point, it is something that Arsenal you know really did need because you know there have been reports that there is some pressure um, on Mikel on Mikel Arteta inwards from you know after giving them after giving them all that much money in the summer to then start off the way he did. You could you can make you can make the understand you can make the argument that you know if things don't pick up um, towards you know October November time there is the argument there to say right we gave we gave you these players we're not seeing an improvement we're going to bring someone else in so to get one result is you know huge step for him uh, moving forwards um, it is it's just going to be a case of whether or not he can turn that one into two into three into four and so on moving forward there will be bigger tests uh, moving forward. I, Think, am I right? Thinking it's the North London derby at the end of the month. Yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, that that will be a big test for them, you know to see how far they've to see how far they've uh, how far they've come. So yeah, still not completely out of the woods yet, but at least they've got at least they've got something to build off. Yeah, they've got the monkey off their back, so to speak. So Max, Manchester City, they got the better of Leicester. Not really a headline in itself because when City win, it's just expected. But a look at Leicester. Unfortunate because Jamie Vardy had a goal scrubbed out. However. Sunchu, we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago. He's not having the best start to the season, is he? Because I know he also had a bit of a mishap for Turkey. So not quite going right for the Turkish international. No, you're right, it isn't. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I don't say this with any kind of happiness that I've been proved right, because ideally Soyuncu would kind of prove us all wrong and, and show that he's a really calm, composed defender. And he, he's calm on the ball and he's a good ball player, but he, he does have that that slight streak in him where, where he has a tendency to do kind of rash things. And yeah, I mean, I think Leicester really did need to strengthen its centre-back. And even with the addition of Vestergaard, I think they might even be a little bit light in that area still. Um, they're very well covered at fullback, very well covered. But 
I think maybe centre back, especially if they want to be playing three at the back as they did at times last season. I think they might be a little bit light there, and it might not be a given that Soyuncu Chu is going to start for them. If he start, in, if it's a th- uh, a three man defence, you know, even if it's a three man defence, it could well be Fofana, Evans, and Vestergaard, for example. Um, and so he he might he might be be losing his place in the team possibly, but he is he is still a good player, and I, and I still expect him to do well this season. Um, but yeah, it, it will be a slight concern for Leicester because that they have got a really strong team, but the results aren't quite coming at the moment. But you know, they, they did give Man City a good game, to be fair. Yeah, again, if you watch just well, if you just saw the scoreline, you think okay, a rather routine win for City, not exhilarating, but a win. But the story when you watch match of the day told a different one completely. And Leicester have been better than six points in terms of their tally so far. It's been unfortunate, but you're looking at them. And how they started compared to last season, even the season before, they just they've lost a little bit of spark, and you do wonder that they're going to be knocking on the door of the Europa League, the Champions League again. They're going to have to raise it a little bit, aren't they? You know, it's no no great shakes just yet. It's still quite early, but if they want to really get to the sharp end of the table, they might need to find something else. At the other end of the table, Matthew Wolves, they're finally off the mark. And when you consider the amount of shots they've had over the first four weeks of the season. A win was always going to come eventually, and they finally got it against Watford. Yeah, I, th- I think they're pretty much in the same boat as Arsenal. You know, get get a monkey off their back, and it's again probably again because because of the history that we say. You know, I mentioned it with uh, Patrick Vieira earlier with Crystal Palace, but Wolves have shown you know before the Nuno days, they've shown that they are also quite ruthless when it comes to when it comes to getting rid of uh, getting rid of managers. So again, another one that Bruno Large was thinking right. Again, I've got one, so the pressure is somewhat easy. We're not going to completely um, dismantle you know, this, this system that I have. It can prove its benefits. So, yeah, again, another starting point for them, for them to build off. But, again, what happens for them moving on? Because I think we've said you know, their, their three games this season were all 1-0 losses. So they showed that they were, they, were in, they were in games. They weren't being completely rolled over. So there were some benefits there. They just need to get that one win and get that one you know, that, that one goal to start things off. And, and they did that again. And they did that at the weekend. So, yeah, good, good on them. Matthew, I'll stay with you. Do you worry about Watford? Not to say you have sleepless nights about them, but in terms of their Premier League status, are they a club that lack identity because they're so transient and they've just got so many, without being sort of xenophobic, they don't have many English players, if at all, do they? So is that kind of lack of continuity and lack of identity with the club going to be an issue? I, I can see it being. I mean, it has been It has been in the past. We've seen the problems that, that, that it raised and that's why... You know, I I try I try not to get invested in what for you know, as, <laughs> as much as I can from an outsider because, as you say, the transient nature. I I, you know, I can't look at I can't look at a player and think, oh, he's going to be good for them, because I don't know whether or not the next manager when he comes along in two weeks, which isn't which isn't an exaggeration. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> when he comes along, is he going to be part of that next manager's team? You know, this thing, oh, he's got a bright young future. Yeah, he might have a young future, but the next manager might say, no, I don't want him, so I'm going to flog him off to or loan him off to a team in the championship. So it's just it's hard to get invested in Watford, you know, even even from an outsider's point of view, compared to what I would with other teams around the Premier yeah. League. It's hard to do. No, you're absolutely right. And Max, let's go to the South Coast, Southampton-West Ham. They played out a draw. The Saints should have arguably won that with their chances in the second half. But really, I think fancy managers across the world will be distraught at Antonio's late red card. Oh, mate, I was, I was absolutely fuming. Yeah. Although, at, at least I didn't captain him like my Ooh, uncle did and got that's... a minus two. Can Ooh. you imagine? <laughs> you absolutely hate to see it. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's just frustrating because it's such a needless one. Um, you know, the game is petering out until nil-nil. I think it was in stoppage time even, and you just fly into a silly tackle. Again, it wasn't particularly malicious, but it was just a bit of a it was just a bit of a waste, really. And and if I've got maybe 30 seconds, I'd like to touch very briefly yep. on uh, yep. UEFA um, banning that uh, Ajax oh. Bob Marley shirt with the three little birds on the back. And I think that coming down hard on Ajax for having, you know, three different coloured birds on the back of their shirt, but doing fuck all about racism shows where their priorities are. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not too happy about it, as you can tell. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely right, because, again... There's no money going to the channels, is there, in all of this? Where's our cut? And if there's no cut, you can't have it. You can't have nice things if UEFA aren't getting paid for it. So that's the... Uh, well, actually, no, one more thing. Project 114, Matthew. Let's stay in Europe. 5-0 and PSG. Is the title already wrapped up in France? Um, let's, let's hope so. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, I, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I don't really care about the title. No, the title don't. would come. The title would come with project with project one four. So, yeah, yeah, by by default, unless yeah, yeah, by default it would. So yeah, five and zero. Oh, yeah, another another good start. So yeah, the only thing I'm the only thing I'm slightly worried about is the fact that I can't get a cash out on my on my bet. Ooh. So I can't. So I can't even like if things are getting worried, I can't even like say. Whenever they play Leon, say in whenever they whenever they play, um, and they're losing the game, I can't I can't even get out of it. It's a, it's an all or nothing, which kind of adds to the drama of it all. But yeah, five and zero still going on. Let's keep it going. LA, yeah, it has to be all or nothing. You couldn't whimsy on thirty and zero and go. Do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna play it safe. This isn't an ITV game show, Matthew. We're going all in. Okay, this is it to the end of the season. So thirty three to go. Let's hope all thirty three are done. So we're done for the week. I just need to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my two pod squad members before I take some more Dana. So Max, a sterling performance as always. I look forward to doing it again next week. Yeah, thanks very much. Top man, Matthew, thanks for wearing the captain's armband this afternoon. A pleasure to chat to you once more. Pleasure as always. Absolutely. Right, cheers guys and also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast and until next time, goodbye. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.